And dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer, we ask once again that you would just take this time, that you would allow us to lay aside the burdens and the cares and, Lord, just all the frustrations and things of life. And, Lord, let us find the answers that we need to face all these things in your word. We ask that we would worship you today. It would not just be something we do because we're supposed to. But, Lord, you would allow each one of us here who is saved from our hearts to bring our praise and our thanksgiving and that we would humble ourselves and ask you to change in us what needs to be changed. Lord, this is what worship is. Lord, let us not settle for just some feel-good practice. But, Lord, we pray that you would work in our souls, that when we leave this place, we would know that our lives are more prepared to obey your word this week. We ask you to be honored and glorified in all that's said and done. In your name we pray. Amen. If you would, in turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. And this morning's message is, hold on. Be held. And you might be saying, Where, what are you saying here is, well, often in this life, when things are going to go a little bit adversely, when, when uh, troubles get high, when, when uh, problems grow, we say, just hold on. In fact, my kids got me a, a little tape. We were working on the building, and, and one of the songs on there is, Hold on a little longer, help is on the way. And so often, we feel that that's where we are. How many of you felt like, I just need to hold on. I'm hanging in there. Well, hanging in is a whole lot better than falling out. Amen? But as we look at these verses today... In Hebrews chapter 6, I hope that we can understand the point that we're holding on, yes, but we're being held. There are some things that God wants you and I to do, and we're going to be looking at those today. But the truth of the matter is, it is not our holding on that is getting the job done. It is his holding us that is getting the job done. Nothing new this morning. Of course, if it was something new, it wouldn't be Bible. Amen. But we need to understand that God does have some things he wants you and I to do in our lives but the only reason we can get anything accomplished that counts for eternity is because he is doing the work. Now let's go down toward the end of the chapter of Hebrews 6. And let's start in verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained 
the promise. Now this is the life of Abraham in two verses. God made a promise to Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless those that bless thee. I'm going to curse those that curse thee. He said, in thee shall all the families of the world be blessed. Now God has never gone back in his, on his word. And you can study history. Those that have blessed the people of Israel have been blessed. Those that have cursed God's chosen people have been cursed. You look at Egypt in the book of Exodus. The historians still are trying to figure out who the Pharaoh of Exodus was. The best we know, the Pharaoh of the book of Exodus was the most powerful Pharaoh in the history of Egypt. His son did not reign after him. Egypt entered a dark age after it had reached its zenith under this Pharaoh. And see, the Egyptians had a wonderful way of keeping history. If it was good, they recorded it. If it was bad, they either rewrote it or just erased it. Sounds like what's going on in public schools today, but uh, nothing new under the sun now, is there? But God took this man and destroyed Egypt because they had enslaved Israel. And you can follow it on down through history. Read the story of Haman in the book of Esther. Read what happened to the city of Babylon because they took the cups of the vessels of God and drank and praised their own gods. Look at what happened to the British Empire. Because after World War I, they cursed the state of Israel. Look what has happened to our country in the last few years because it's reversed some policies. And we're not saying to endorse everything that is going on, but what we're saying is just look at history. God's promise has not been rescinded. God made this promise, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. We meet in a former synagogue. And someone says, what are you going to do about all those stars of David? Well, they're there, and they're probably going to stay there for an awful long time. But listen, Jesus was a Jew. He was of the physical descent of Abraham. And we stand here in God's blessing today because of Jesus Christ. That's the promise that was made here that's being referred to in the book of Hebrews. Verse 17, it says, "Where?" let's read verse 16. For men verily swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. 
that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth to that into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made in high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you want to find out who Melchizedek is, you needed to be here when we went through the book of Hebrews, verse by verse, a little over 18 months. We spent about six, eight weeks right in this one chapter here, uh, at least going through all of these things. And there's no way that we're going to recap or reteach that without adding to the confusion this morning, because there's a lot of deep teaching about the order of Melchizedek. But it's simply this. God's salvation is not after a physical earthly priesthood. God's salvation is from an eternal priesthood. It is from something that is greater and far better than anything built with hands that anything that man can serve in. Our hope today It tells us in this passage that if we have fled to God to lay hold on that hope that is set before us. Now, what is that hope? That hope is our salvation, my friend. There's a lot of confusion today over this term called born again. And I've had people on the street and uh, you pass out a track. Are you one of those born agains? And... uh, Say, I am born again, but I'm not one of those things that you're talking about. Uh, We don't jump up and down for Jesus here. We don't need to. We know that we have eternal life. Being born again is God's way of explaining how we get that new life. Amen? And this is our hope. If your hope is in our country in which we live, let me tell you, your your hope is in trouble. The world still pours in to the borders of this country hoping to find a better life. And I'll tell you what, you can find a better life here than you can in most places in the world in which you live. Amen? But you can have the best life this world has to offer and still miss heaven. That's not my hope. My hope is in heaven. The reason I can have this hope is because my salvation is not dependent upon me. It's not dependent upon what I do. I've had this conversation many times with many people over the years. There's a lot of people that believe that they can have their salvation today and lose it tomorrow. And when a person expresses that kind of belief, I want to ask them, so where, where is the final word on your salvation? 
Well, it's in the Word of God. Okay. We would agree that the final word on your salvation is in the Word of God. Amen. If you don't believe these words, you cannot be saved. And usually we'll start, uh, try to help people see this by doing a conversation, illustrating it this way. Can I pick on you, Ricardo? Okay. I would say, now, Ricardo, you believe you can lose your salvation. And he doesn't, of course, but we'll just pretend for a moment. I'd say, now, let's suppose you and I got in a fight. Now, both of us would be sinning. Because I, and, and I'm saying things to get you angry. And you get so upset, you just leave the church building. Now, you've sinned because you've gotten angry. You sinned because you left and didn't solve the problem. Amen? Now you get in your car and you drive 90 miles an hour down the street because you're so upset. Now you're breaking more laws. I said, and a Mack truck pulls out in front of you. Boom, you're into eternity. I said, where do you go? Now, if a person believes they can lose their salvation, this is what they'll say, to hell. I say, why? Because I didn't have a chance to confess my sins. What kind of hope is that? The ultimate end of that hope is in yourself. And if you're trusting in yourself, you're not trusting in God, and you're not going to make it to heaven. Do you see how deceitful the devil is? Thank you for helping me there for a minute, Ricardo. But the simple truth of the matter is, my hope is not in me. I don't know about you, but this has been a pretty tough week. You know what? Last week was pretty tough too now, wasn't it? Anybody want to go for the week before? Uh, how about this coming week? Does it look any easier for anybody? Because if it does, I want to come to your house for a few days, all right? How many of you, your life is right up to about here? I mean, if you stand on your toes, your nose is above the water. If you don't, you're, you're in danger of uh, taking in as much water as you are air. How many know what I'm talking about? And say, okay, I see the heads going up and down. Now, the Bible tells us right here that we are supposed to have a strong consolation we're supposed to have a refuge, and that refuge is our hope. Now, what do we base this hope on? Number one, we base it on the character of God. It says here, verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope, upon the hope set before us. God said it. Can I trust God? 
Well, yes, I can because God cannot lie. But you know, the Bible sometimes is like, do we have any accountants here today? Anybody does math for a living? Okay. Figures never lie, right? But liars figure now, don't they? (laughs) You see, people take the Bible and they want to twist it to make it say what they want it to say. Now, our church has been here almost 18 years, 18 years in October. And the one thing that I have endeavored to do as your pastor for this time period, and those that have been around a while know this and and, and hope would be convinced of it, that we try to allow the Bible to speak for itself. We are not here to find Baptist doctrine in the Bible and teach just that. We are here to teach what the Bible says. And redefine our doctrine, if necessary, to match what the Bible says. Amen? You have to allow God's word to say what it says. That's what Ezra did. He was responsible for all those vessels if you were here for Sunday school. He said, I told the king that God would take care of us and he would protect us. How can I ask the king for an army? to protect us because then I would be telling the king that his army is greater than our God. That's pretty biblical now, isn't it? And so Ezra said, we prayed and we entreated God and he took care of us. Now that doesn't mean that you shouldn't Seek medical help if you got sick and you shouldn't, uh, all of these other things. Don't, don't use the Bible to be ridiculous. But let me tell you something. If the Bible says something, you can just trust it. Amen? You see, when God says something, you need to believe it. God also said, I promise. Now, many of us uh, here today, unless you are an ardent student of the Bible and have read the book of Genesis over many times, how many of you know where God swore by an oath that he would keep his promise to Abraham? How many of you remember that story? He took, he told Abraham, he said, I want you to take these animals, I want you to take bullocks and birds and and goats, and I want you to kill them and cut them in half, and you and I are going to walk down between this row of the dead animals, and we're going to make an agreement together. Well, what happened? God put Abraham to sleep, and God walked between those animals. You know what God was saying? I'm going to keep the promise but it's not dependent upon what you do, Abraham. It's dependent upon what I say. But here's one thing we got to get a hold of. Look at the last verse here. I mean, last phrase of verse 18. It says, Who have 
fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. God's word is secure. God's promise is guaranteed by the very character and the person of God. It is not going to change, nor is it possible being changed by any force in the universe, but it doesn't apply to anyone who refuses to flee to him. You've got to go to God to get his consolation. Amen? Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How many of you can remember a time in your life when you knew what the Bible says, said, but you weren't saved? And even though you knew the Bible said that you could have salvation, you did not have it. How many people remember a time like that in your life? You understood but you weren't there. Could I challenge you today? Don't live there, my friend. If you find yourself in that situation, come to Jesus today. Get that thing solved. You say, I'm just not sure that, that I can. That's the problem, my friend. It has nothing to do with what you can or cannot do. It has everything to do with what God has already done. Will you come to him and let him? That's... Do the work. Let him save your soul. Let him guarantee your eternal security. This is what the verse means. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You see, my hope is not in this world. My hope is in heaven. Look at verse 19. It says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both steadfast and sure, with entereth into that within the veil. Now, we were singing that one song about, uh, I know whom I have believed. I don't know whether I'll walk the veil with him or meet him in the air. This, this idea of a veil is not just a curtain, but it is a separation in the Old Testament tabernacle, there was a veil that was hung between the holy place where the priest ministered every day and the holy of holies where he would only enter in once on the day of atonement. If you remember when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in that temple that was in Jerusalem was rent from the top to the bottom. You know what was revealed when that veil was rent? Not the mercy seat. That had been lost. There was no mercy seat, no Ark of the Covenant in the second temple. There was nothing there but a white marble slab revealing the emptiness of our ability to serve God. But the symbolism is we can have direct access to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the occupant of the mercy seat. He is our God, and we should worship him. 
He is in heaven today to make intercession for us. I met a Jewish guy one time. He said, why, why do all you Gentiles believe in a Jewish God? That's real easy. What? He said, there only is one God. Well, yeah, of course. He had to go back to the Old Testament. But then when he realized what I had just said, then, no, 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 that's not, you know, it, it really got him good. Because there only is one God. He's revealed himself to us, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And if you can explain it, then you don't believe what the Bible teaches. It's not explainable. I just believe it. And Jesus is on the other side. When he was on the cross, one word in the Hebrew, three words in the English. Say him with me. It is finished. Do you believe that today? Say amen. amen. You see, my hope is in heaven. My hope is in what Jesus has done. This is the anchor of my soul. When everything starts swirling around, and you just feel like you're being pushed out of the way. That's what happens with these ships. You know, ships do not need an anchor when they're out in the middle of the ocean. How many people know why? Because there's nothing to get pushed into. They can float up and down. Number two, they can't reach the bottom and it and if they could, when the big wave came by, if the anchor actually held, it would sink the ship. It would pull it beneath the waves. But as the ship approaches the shore, ship needs an anchor. Because the waves can move the ship into the shallow waters where it will be broken up. And by the way, you can take one of these great big steel ships and built to carry a million gallons of oil or thousands of those containers, run it out of the channel, and there's not going to be any bottom in the ship anymore. The ground is a lot tougher. What God put in the bottom of that ocean is tougher than any ship man has ever built. Titanic proved that pretty clearly, didn't it? Here's the point we're trying to make. When a ship puts out an anchor, it's not the ship holding on to the anchor. It's the anchor holding on to the ship. You see, an anchor, by definition, has to be attached in an unmovable fashion to the the structure of the ship. How many of you have ever taken advantage of the fleet week and gone on some of them big naval vessels they, they bring in here and you can walk up and they'll, they'll normally take you through the anchor room. You see those great big, I mean, links of chain. Just one link weighs 50 
to over, well over 100 pounds for just one link in the chain. And they have that anchor attached in such a way that if the anchor were separated from the ship, there would be no ship left. Now, this hope, which is our salvation, is based in the character of God. There is absolutely nothing that can overcome him or his word. Amen? That anchor is holding us. And I want us to go to one more passage, and we'll be done this morning. Let's go to the the book of Philippians, chapter 3, and... I hope this will help you see what is being said here in the book of Philippians and will shed some light in in turn on the book of Hebrews there. But in the book of Philippians, in chapter 3, Paul is describing salvation. Verse 11, he speaks... Of chapter 3, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Someone would say, is Paul not sure about his salvation? Well, let's read on. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if anything, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Now here's what the Apostle Paul's saying. He's saying, I want to live my life in the light of Christ's resurrection and my future resurrection from the dead, my eternity with Christ. He says, I'm not walking around as if Everything were all done and there's nothing left for me to do. He said, but I'm following after that I may apprehend, that I may get a hold of that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. This is how we are to live attached to the anchor. You see, Christ has things for you and I to do. That's why we have to flee to God to find that consolation. We've got to move in that direction. He's got a place of service for us. He has things that he wants us to do. And he wants us to serve him, pressing on toward that mark of the high calling of obedience to Jesus Christ, understanding that I'm already apprehended of, or I'm already being held by Christ Jesus. Now, I want to end by telling a little story. I had to go up and 
check which one, we're pretty sure that it was Ruth Ann. But she had this little thing that she would do. She would come walking up and she would go, Daddy, I want to be holded. She didn't know her verb tenses. Past tense of hold it, past tense of hold is held. But she knew what she wanted. She wanted daddy to pick her up and hold her. And as her father, I would look down and say, no, not now. I don't have time. Do you believe that? I hope not. I don't care what I was doing. <laughs> when she wanted to be holded, she got holded. Amen? Amen. And as I was going through this passage, I began to think of all the turmoil and frustration that we face in life. And so often, the problem is not, Daddy isn't there. We're not asking to be held. And that's why we suffer. This morning's message is just very simple. Are you, in your relationship with God, trying to hold on to the anchor? Let me tell you, it won't work. You won't be able to hold on to the anchor. Something will separate you. This is the difference between an eternal salvation and a non-eternal salvation. This is the difference between true faith and God. This is the difference between a pessimistic, uh, fake, false type of Christianity and the real Bible Christianity it is not me holding on to the anchor. It is the anchor holding on to me. But it's a whole lot easier to take when I ask to behold it. Amen? Amen. You see... God has some things he wants us to do. How many of you remember the story of Mary and Martha? Mary said, Jesus, teach me. Martha said, Jesus, let me serve you. Martha was all worn out and frustrated. Mary was in perfect peace. Later on, they got that whole thing solved. Amen? Another sermon, another day. But I'm looking at my calendar, and I'm looking at what's going on. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful I still have some hair left to pull out. But uh, I'm sitting here going, this just isn't going to happen. And then all of a sudden, I remember, wait a minute. It's, it's not me that's getting the job done. 
It's he that's getting the job done. And I'm going to stop, by God's grace, trying to serve him and just go and ask to behold it for a little while. That's how you're going to survive. That's how you're going to survive no matter what goes on. Is he holding you for your salvation today? Say amen. Amen. Well then, don't you think he'd do a lot better job at work tomorrow than you will? Amen? Don't you think that he will solve those problems that you can't solve a whole lot better than you could? But let me tell you something. In those times of distress in that little girl's life, and that was her favorite little phrase, was, Daddy, I want to behold it. I still like that. She came to me. It wasn't that I wasn't there. It wasn't that I didn't want to comfort and care for my daughter at any time of the day or night. But it sure was a lot more fun for me when she came and asked to be held. We're here to worship God today. His power is there. But he has given us emotions and relations with other people to show us how he wants us to behave. And we need to live realizing, yeah, there's some things God wants you to do. But if anything gets done, it's going to be because he did it. Could we live our Christianity in the light of his goodness and his ability instead of ours? Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And Lord, I pray that this message would help us look to you in the way that we should, as a child does to their father. You've promised us in your word that you know better how to take care of us than any earthly father, his children here on this planet. And Lord... I don't believe there's one of us in this auditorium that isn't need, in need of a little extra of that care today and this week. And I pray that we would stop trying to figure out how we're going to hold on to the anchor and just ask you to hold us, knowing that you've already promised that you would. Lord, we pray that we would surrender the things in our lives, the frustration, the planning, the whatever else hinders us from just simply trusting in you. And Lord, that we would live our life that way. Our prayer is if there's anyone here today that is not saved, that today would be the day that they would be willing to let you hold them for their salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Let's stand together.